0: Om Sahana Batu, Sahana Hunaktu, Saha Hedium Karabahi, Ajasinabadhi Tamasthuma Mitbisha Bahai, Um Shantishan, Tishan, Tishan, Tihi. Now, you know, we have, we have all become old hats, so to speak, with regard to these one month courses, they happen often, and uh, so I just listed two texts, two kinds of things that we are going to, topics that we are going to talk about, and then uh, Andrew said it would be nice to have an orientation or a little introduction. So we will do a little bit of that today before we focus on the Maitri Upanishad. And uh, uh, now, the uh, in terms of orientation, the one month course is itself an orientation. Some orientation, or rather a reorientation back to oneself. That is what happens whenever we have, you know, we spend a focused and an extended amount of time in focused study. This is what happens. There is a transformation. And then from course one, our first one month course that people have taken to the second one month course, to the third one month course, to the fourth one month course, there is a there is a concomitant rise in clarity, even though one keeps doubting and one is convinced that one has forgotten everything. One doesn't know, one can think, I have forgotten everything that was so long ago. The last one month course was two years ago and I don't even remember what text was studied. It doesn't matter because there is something that is retained and what is retained is not, thankfully, based on memory. It's not based on memory because it is I, it is based on that self-shining self-effulgent self, that is the truth of, and the content of the word I, because of which memory and forgetting both exist. When we talk of memory, there is always that forgetting, the specter of forgetting in the background. A ghost of forgetting is there which informs the word and gives the definition to the word memory. Memory has no meaning if there is no forgetting. What we are talking about is something even, you know, beyond that, that which is beyond those opposite dualities, because of which memory is, because of which forgetting also is, which is neither, you know, based on memory nor based on forgetting. It just simply is. It lends its existence and shines in the form of memory which says in our everyday language, I remember, I remember what we studied, ah, aha, and that same shining awareness, that same shining knowledge says, I forgot, oops, I don't remember anything, what's wrong with me, you know. But if we unpack those words I forgot, it's not any different from I remember. Both of those are like a are like a you know are like a moment. In that moment less timeless consciousness, it's just a it's just an apparition, it comes and it goes like the ocean, which has a wave and then which has another wave but the ocean sustains the waves, it is free of all the waves. Similarly, this consciousness, this vast, unlimited, limitless, glorious I, upholds the memory and upholds the forgetting. So even as we unfold and look at these texts, there is something to be gained in terms of relaxing and listening and not worrying about how many of the terminologies I got and how much I remember. That doesn't mean that memory is not important. We'll talk about that later. Memory is important because, you know, on the transactional we have a Harika level. This is how we conduct our, you know, uh,
1: our uh, lives.
0: If memory were not there, you know, we would burn down our houses while making coffee because we would forget the stove, we forget the electric kettle whatever it is. And so, this way, you know, memory has a place but let's not forget that forgetting also has a place. You know, some grudges that have been held since the last janma, since the last life are best forgotten. The, The the wrongs, real or perceived, that we carry in the form of balls of hurt that come out as so many, you know, problems in our lives are best forgotten. And uh, so the forgetting is also important if memory is important. And here, what we are talking of, is neither based on memory nor based on remembering or forgetting it is beyond that it's beyond this this duality because when we talk of memory and when we talk of forgetting i want us to focus on that you know that uh, that you know, what should I say that ripple in this oceanic consciousness in this placid oceanic consciousness there is a ripple called memory There is a ripple called forgetting. There is no difference in terms of the ripple. Both are the same. Memory is registered in the awareness in the form of I, I remember. Forgetting is also registered in the form of I remember. What do you remember? I remember that I forgot. (laughs) There is no difference. There is absolutely no difference. And this is something which is very, you know, peculiar because, you know, we think that uh, there is a big difference and both are diametrically opposite, they are not. Both go back to that consciousness, that I, in the form of awareness, that I am aware of everything, including remembering, including forgetting. This is the Bhagavad Gita, 15th chapter. In which Bhagavan declares, I am in the form of memory smriti, I am in the form of I know knowledge, I am in the form of apohanam, forgetting as well. So, forgetting is a manifestation of that consciousness which is Bhagavan, which is revealed as Bhagavan in what we are about to embark on in this one month course. And forgetting is also Bhagavan. And that doesn't mean we should try not to remember because we are getting in Bhagavan. That's not the point. But the point is to see something beyond both these opposites. Because that is what we mean when we talk about the knowledge of oneness, which is the, which is the factor that draws people to a course like this regardless of wherever we are regardless of what time zone it is regardless of where you know uh, what is going on that one makes the time for this is to is to get beyond in some cognitive fashion How, two things draws us to a uh, to this kind of an enterprise in some cognitive fac- fashion to get beyond this, this impasse of this divide, you know, good, bad, dharma, adharma, memory, forgetting, knowledge, ignorance, knowledge of something, ignorance of something, all these, you know, I know, I don't know, all these things, you know, are, are the banks, is these two diametrical opposites are the banks, the tata of samsara. The river of samsara keeps flowing and is kept in place by the bund. Bund means like a certain kind of a, you know, uh, banks. And the banks, you know, like, uh, let's say that they are, you know, like there's a parapet. And uh, and the river is channeled to flow a certain way. Sometimes it is uh, sandbags, and sometimes it's a brick wall or a stone wall, a cement wall. So this is you know this is samsara, the river of samsara, which keeps flowing and flowing and going and flowing and going and, and flowing. And what allows it to keep flowing, almost incessantly? is the two banks of the two opposed, you know, opposed understandings of this never will meet that, these parallel lines will never meet. This is what we were told in a geometry class as children. What is the definition of a parallel line? parallel lines? Those that never meet, yeah. But the parallel lines don't have a place in this knowledge of oneness that we are about to embark upon, and they don't have a place simply because ultimately they don't exist. No? Because there is something under the those parallel lines that make them appear as not to meet and go in their, you know, in their fashion, like the flowing river of samsara, infested with. Crocodiles infested with fears, tears, in all kinds of clingy weeds, reptiles, currents, you know. This is uh, very beautifully uh, described again in the Bhagavad Gita in the Dhyana Shloka, you know. Vishmatrona tata jayadra thajala kandharani lotpala shalya grahavati kripena vahane karane vela pula ashvatham vikarna bhoramakara Duryodhana vartini so tirna khalu pandava yarna nadi kaivartak keshavah a beautiful verse which describes this this Life of infested in this life, infested with the with duality, and this duality is the cause of fear, which is the definition of samsara. bhayam bhavati, and so this bhaya and this shoka, these are the two, you know, the two what bread and butter, or the, the two staples of samsara. And the shoka is there, and then bhaya is there, and this bhaya and shoka together become, you know, the uh, what's that? The main stage of samsara. And here in this, you know, um, in this wonderful uh, dhyana shloka, and uh, in this wonderful dhyana shloka, we have a um, we have a very nice um, allegory or a metaphor of the river infested, you know, with all kinds of duality, which is the cause of fear and pain and sorrow, which is this, you know, which is described in terms of the actors of the battlefield. Bhishma and Drona, you know, they are the banks. And Jayadratha, another warrior is the water, like this, you know, we have everything in the, in the, you know, in, in this river of samsara. Karna, the, you know, very dangerous person who took the wrong side during this war is the Velakula, is the hidden riptide, the factor, the, the, the surprise twist or the factor that, you know, that was, uh, that posed a lot of danger. And then, Ashwatthama and Vikarna are Ghora Makara, you know, they are uh, dangerous crocodiles. And Duryodhana is a, Avartini means a kind of a tsunami type that inundates everything. But the part of us were safely ferried through this horrible river of duality and infested with all these dangers. And how they were ferried through? They were ferried through because Kaivartakaha. The boatman was none other than the Lord. Oh, very beautiful. And so, what draws us to this knowledge is is this, is this, uh, uh, what, what can I call it? Uh, boredom, sickness with this uh, duality, and duality presents itself in an interesting fashion. Because, you know, it, it, uh, it, it seems to be something that we all love, but really we can't stand. That's what it is. In the beginning, it looks wonderful. Oh, there is this thing that I can fall in love with. And then what? Everything, everything that I fall in love with is, is finite. It combusts. It self-destructs or it is destroyed by some outside force. And then what? Then that love is then transferred to one more thing, and one more thing, and one more thing. And this happens life after life after life after life. And then one one is sick, because even though we don't remember the past life, there is a sense of a, a deja vu for everyone. Somehow I have been here, I have done this before. And to what end, what did I achieve from all this? This is the question that leads one to, to pursue this knowledge. This is the question that leads one, even though one may not know anything about Vedanta, Shmedanta, whatever it is, one doesn't know. But one has some desire to you know, do something other than what one has been doing, with a kind of a backing that all the things I have been doing is really my undoing. (laughs) So the doing is my undoing. And so maybe there is something else. Maybe this keeping on pursuing one thing after another is just, you know, going into a diving expedition into this very river of samsara and coming up sometimes with a shiny object and sometimes one dives and comes out and there is a lobster catching the nose you know and then punya papa, that's all it is you dive and come out with a pearl and oyster, punya, and then you dive again and come out, this whole thing of diving for riches within samsara is a is a disease that that needs to be looked at And that, you know, and that disease is not, uh, you know, it's an incurable disease, in fact, it's not even a disease as the doctors talk about it in the modern times. It's a syndrome. A syndrome is a series of uh, often inexplicable symptoms that come together in a certain fashion that can be studied that, okay, it affects such people this is the age group this is the gender this is the locality where this syndrome hits perhaps maybe it has a geographical component we don't know and then yeah, these are the symptoms and this is how it manifests beyond that you don't know why this person is getting this you don't know why this person and not the other person and and then of course a syndrome has no cure has <laughs> no cure you can manage it, you can, you know, give some pills, you can do some yoga, you can do some meditation, all that, and you can manage it. And that's why it is called, the disease, you know, here is similar to this syndrome. But this disease of fishing in in the infested rivers of samsara for a catch. Everybody wants a catch. Yeah. But you don't know that the biggest catch is that there is no catch. That's the catch. So everybody is fishing within these troubled waters of samsara, wanting to get something out of it. And this is the syndrome. So if you look at it from a medical perspective, I mean, what does it tell us? Who is, who is susceptible? (laughs) There is no age group, everyone then what's the difference? If everyone is afflicted, then then who can cure it? That's why we need what is called Bhavaroga Bhishak. We need a doctor that is, you know, that is an expert in, has a degree in, Samsara Roga bhava roga. Bhishak means right? yeah. the, the, the The doctor... And so, who is, you know, who has come under the spell of this disease? The answer is everyone, each and every one. No, nobody is exempt. If you are born in this world, you have samsara fever. And then, okay, what are the, what are the symptoms? Here are the symptoms of samsara fever, the relentless drive to pursue something because one feels inadequate. So the underlying feeling of self-inadequacy leads to self-judgment, leads to trying to quell that voice of self-judgment with overactivity. Overactivity, so much restlessness that if you sit quietly, then something happens. Up. And that's why people frequently tell me, I'm not attending classes because I'm a doer. I'm not <laughs> listening, is also doing. I tell them, No, 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 I'm not that, that kind of a doer. I'm a different kind of a doer. I have to be doing something. Sitting quiet is deadly. This is what this is the first. Uh, What is that manifestation? A self-inadequacy that is, you know, that is the cause of a lot of non-acceptance, self-critique, self-judgment, which in turn propels the symptom of that some basic restlessness within the depths of oneself. Centered on the eye, there is this restlessness. You have to be keeping on doing something. What do you want to do? I want to achieve. So the next symptom is to to compensate, so to speak, for this self inadequacy that is so deeply felt that one goes on a relentless, endless expedition of trying to catch something and add something on. You know, it's like you have an add-on that will help me to have more worth in the society, in the world, in my community. Perhaps me plus a degree will be more acceptable to myself and others. Perhaps me with a pedigree would be better. Perhaps me with, you know, some kind of a status. Perhaps I with a little bit of wealth, little more wealth, little more gold, little more this, little more that. And whatever one amasses and accumulates is just that, a little more of what? The Upanishad is going to say a little more of nothing. Really? <laughs> because the only thing that is to be looked at is, is you, which is the only thing that is worth being called in Sanskrit as the thing, Vastu. Everything else is Avastu. So Avastu plus Vastu is still Vastu. Vastu plus Vastu you cannot say because there is only one Vastu. Avastu plus Avastu. Still avastu, two negatives here, you know, don't make a positive. Avastu plus avastu, avastu. So, all that there is is the eye, which I am not focusing on, which I am not looking at, and instead, what is happening? I am focusing on how to repair this eye, which I think is, is, is diseased. And this is the, it, it, it's, it's now we see. That samsara roga is a, is a syndrome that is like a, you know, that is like a uh, feeling that one is sick. Ah, without being sick, the feeling that I am afflicted is the main symptom of samsara. Because the nature of this I revealed through the shastras, revealed through through, through all the teachings, of the of the tradition prasthanatraya, whether we talk of you know Brahma Sutra, Upanishads, Bhagavad Gita, everything affirms the I as not longing, only belonging, only having a sense of belonging, not longing, belonging with everything, one with everything. And the same Upanishads reveal the I as complete unaha and full, you know, limitless, avigalaha, not tainted in any way by, uh, you know, by all kinds of problems, thoughts, fears, tears, there is that which is separate from the one that has identified with the mind helplessly and that sakshi that witness is revealed as the cause of the universe. So here, now we see that one of the, that all these symptoms of samsara fever is the belief, I am sick. Oh, some kind of a hypochondriac syndrome, (laughs) I am sick, you know. And then you go out in the universe, in the society and then immediately one starts to feel a sense of deep non-worth of the self and somehow somebody else's life starts to look very, you know, very authentic and very much more fulfilling than one's own. That's why we love to read biographies. Oh, wonder how this person looked. And then we start the biography, it all looks nice and then When you start reading the chapters, you'll see that even the person that you idolized was deeply or is deeply flawed, has the same kind of machinations and, you know, uncertainties as yourself. So, really speaking, this is what draws us because, really speaking, what we need is not a biography that's not going to help what we need is an autobiography. We need an autobiography and hopefully an autobiography that is written for us, not something that we want to write because the ink with which we are going to write our own story is going to be tainted by the same inadequacy, the same judgment, the same self-critique, the same fears, and the same tears is going to be tainted. And here, what is needed is for someone else to come and write my story. Something else to come and write my story. And this is, this is what is the, you know, is needed right now. But who will write the story? Because, you know, if everyone is afflicted with the disease of samsara, Who will write the story? Who will tell the cat? You know, that is the situation. And that's why we have a body of knowledge which is above Rusevda, not written by the one who is afflicted by this disease. So the medicine, you know, the medicine that is given for this syndrome, which by the way happens to be curable, in a, in a wonderful way, unlike the modern medical syndromes, you know. And uh, so, therefore, what you know, the 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 so where is this cure coming from? It's coming from the same source, which which is from where you came, from where you came. What is your source? You can say Bhagavan. Okay. So, the, the source is Bhagavan, and then ultimately the Jagat, the, the whole created universe, non separate from Bhagavan. And how to get out of this, you know, identifying with this created universe and converting it in my mind into samsara and being convinced that I am afflicted by this? That remedy is also coming from Bhagavan alone. That's why it is called Abhaunusheya. And by apavurusheya we mean not man-made, human-made, not human-made, you know. That's why the Upanishads, which are part of the Veda, uh, are, you know, have been channeled by sages in meditation. They did not write them, they never considered themselves to be an author of that knowledge. And in the same way, the Upanishad is timeless, and so even now, if you are able to sit with that same clarity enjoyed by the sages of yoga, you will also be guided. There are there can be more modern Upanishads, no problem with that. Only problem is how to you know make sure that the ego is not there, the ahankara is not writing the Upanishad and the ahankara is not involved in the Upanishad, how to make sure? Well, how to make sure is uh, is through this. If we are asking this question, that means the ahankara is involved. If the ahankara is not involved, this question will not even come to the mind. And so this knowledge came in, in through the minds of the, of the great ones, the ancient sages and they Gave the remedies and they contained the remedies, they channeled the remedies, they were they were not mantra kartara, they were not the authors of these mantras, they were mantra drahtaraha, they were just the seers of the mantras. They saw what was and they cared to share it with others, and that's why we have this body of knowledge called Upanishad. Shad, that which destroys. destroys beyond a trace, what does it destroy? It destroys all kinds of pain and the pain is connected to duality because really speaking there is no duality, there is no pain without duality and what kind of a duality? A duality that I have bought into, that I have you know seen as two parallel lines never coming to meet And I have seen myself as an afflicted body, a person who is completely afflicted. And this duality is the cause of fear, pain and sorrow, identifying with this duality. And so here, what is proposed and what is given is that it doesn't seek the knowledge of the Upanishad, doesn't seek to eradicate duality. That's not, it doesn't operate on that level. Because how are you going to eradicate duality? You're not going to eradicate duality because it is is a manifestation of that same source from which everything has come. So it doesn't try to erase or eradicate duality. It gives a perspective, a loftier perspective from whence to be able to see this duality as a play of light and shadow and enjoy its, you know, enjoy all the variations, so to speak. Like you see the, the you know, like the mother, you know, enjoying her child crying, you know, when it is
1: tired or
0: hungry uh, and, uh, and the mother enjoys the child crying because the mother knows it's just sleepy. Really, it'll go, you know, it'll just be out in two, minutes, no problem. All I have to do is put the child on the lap and just, you know, pat it two, three times, it will be gone. It will be just in the realm of sleep and and it is overstimulated and it is crying. The mother knows that. And so with that kind of a slight, uh, you know, wisdom that the mother has, that that slight uh, separation, or the, the, the not identifying with the child's cry, she can just enjoy it. Oh, are you having a bad day? Oh, I know. And the child will say, no, 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 I want to go out. I don't want to sleep. I want to play. And the mother knows that, you know, uh, that's not what it wants. But it's still, she will just enjoy the child crying. And then she will put it to bed. So the mother knows that. And so, in the similar, you know, the 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 duality doesn't have to be eradicated. It has to be enjoyed, and here I can use the word, transcended cognitively. And only when it is transcended cognitively, which means that I am abiding in the truth of myself, which is non-wanting, non-afflicted, non-fearful, Non tearful, non inadequate, completely adequate, completely limitless, completely glorious, completely of the nature of love that I'm actually seeking, completely of the nature of joy that I'm constantly wanting. I am everything that I seek in the wake of this knowledge. Du- what, what duality? Well, the duality is enjoyed. It, it simply is not something. You know, it's it's not something that bothers me. And when there is something that doesn't bother one, then it is not even looked at. Only when something gives trouble, then it is looked at. You, you know, like for example, the you know when you turn on the switch, the light comes on. And most of the time, we don't even know we have just pressed the switch and the light is on, and nobody you know even thinks about the light or looks at the light or ponders about the light but one day you turn on the switch the light doesn't come on then it becomes a problem similarly duality is likewise duality becomes a problem because i find myself trapped in its snares and afflicted by it otherwise it's not a problem because it's just something that is something that is to be enjoyed like the play of light and shadow because I I have dropped the the pursuit of self-worth through through all kinds of doings. I have dropped the pursuit of trying to make myself adequate. Instead, I have picked up the pursuit of understanding how come I am already adequate? How come I am the seeker and I am the sought? How come I am the nature of love? How come I am the nature of joy? I have already, see there is a cognitive shift here. Before I was relentlessly pursuing things, thinking that things, objects, events and people and my involvement with all of them is going to give me some joy, is going to give me, is going to eradicate this sense of want. And it's confusing because it does eradicate for a little while but then it comes back like jack-in-the-box. Samsara is like jack-in-the-box. It just is returns and returns and returns. This is what the whole thing is. And so therefore, we need a knowledge that is out of this box of Samsara, out of this infested rivers, and, and that knowledge, you know, must have a few conditions other than the fact that it's out of this whole, you know, scheme of things which cause afflictions. It should fulfill another conditions in the sense that it should resonate with me. And it does resonate. The Upanishad, even though the person doesn't know anything about the Upanishad, the opening mantra itself, om um, brahma Vida apno tiparam create a certain, you know, longing or resonate with the longing that is already there that's better put actually brahmavid apnoti param the opening mantra of the taittiriya upanishad so powerful you know the knower of brahman gains everything gains param the ultimate oh there is such a thing called ultimate what is that that's what i want so the knower of brahman gains the ultimate therefore what i have to do know this, whatever this thing, uh, called Brahman, tat Brahman, Iti Jignasa, then what happens is that in the mind, there arises a natural curiosity to know, what is this Brahman that is going to give me this happiness that is that I am seeking? What I am seeking is the ultimate. Nobody wants the, the pen ultimate. Nobody wants, you know, unless one uh, of course is a grammarian, because there we keep talking about penultimate syllables and vowels, etc. But here, nobody wants something other than the ultimate. Nobody wants the second best. One is always wanting the best because one doesn't know I is a best, I am already the best. One doesn't know that. That's why this, you know, this uh, Upanishad should fulfill the condition of attracting one to this, you know, to, to this uh, to this knowledge. And the Upanishad is like honey, which yeah. attracts all the bees. You know, it's like a flower that is there with a lot of nectar, which attracts the bees. The bees are the rishis, and the honey is the Upanishad. And this knowledge of Brahman is like this, you know, ever, you know, Ever blooming flower that is already there doesn't you know it is there. It is for people to be able to 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 do chayana to take it and to be able to share it with others. This is what all things and so therefore the uh, the upanishad you know has a has a has this condition that it it uh, resonates with my longing. It provides me an answer that I cannot get anywhere else, anadhigata That is the first condition, it is not available anywhere else, any other way. Any other way I have tried, in fact I have tried every other way. I have tried, you know, bungee cord jumping, I have tried skydiving, I have tried going to movies, I have tried going to malls and balls, I have tried DIY self-improvement courses, I have tried how to be happy in five minutes, you know, books like that, instant happiness. I have tried everything. And then what is happening is that samsara is always comes back, even if it eradicates the feeling and makes me forget, it comes back. And so what I need is something that is a permanent cure, which is not part of this and which is apavrusheya. And which is anadhigata. Anadhigata means what? Anadhigata means it's, this knowledge is not available any other way, any other, you know, in any other man except through the pursuit of this knowledge. This is not, this freedom from longing is not available any other way. Okay? That's the first condition. Second condition is that it should be arthavat. This we have already discussed but it should fulfill, you know, it should resonate with me, it should be meaningful. When I'm studying the Upanishad, it should talk about me, because that is where the problem is. It should talk about me, it should talk about freedom from this duality, freedom from longing, freedom from sorrow, freedom from fear, freedom from pain, freedom from all afflictions. I should be the focus, and, and definitely it is, that's why I call it the... Autobiography of the self, another name for the Upanishad, is the autobiography of the self. An authentic autobiography of the self, which is how I want to see myself, you know, and it therefore is meaningful to me. Do I want to be non-longing? You know, free, uh, free of all longings. Nobody will say no. I want. To, I, I. I beg to differ. I want to have longings. Nobody will say that. Do I want to see myself as fulfilled and not craving other people's approvals? Yes. Do I want to be free of other people insulting me all the time? Yes. You know, I want to be free of perceiving that I am insulted, that I have been dis- disrespected, that I am better than this. Why do I feel all that? Because, you know, you spot it, you got it. You have some something there that is internalized that touches and tears at the heart because it is you see it outside and that longing makes it uh, we we all engage you know one of you know one of the problems with samsara is that one engages in a powerful transference you transfer the pain outside and you say because of you i am upset because of you i am sad because of you i am not gaining this because of you it's a very easy you know, it's an easy play, it's a play to to uh, not, you know, not have to look with him because that is perceived as painful. So therefore what? The supanishad, you know, is fulfills the second condition for its existence and for its relevance. It is arthavat, it is meaningful to me, you know, and then what? The third one is called phalabodhakam, meaning it promises something and it delivers. Here we can have some problems because immediately the skeptic within one comes out and says, how do you know it delivers? (laughs) for other things we don't ask that. You know, how do you know that uh, this medicine that is being given by the doctor delivers? How do you know that? This will ease the symptoms and or make the symptoms go away. How will you? How do you know? Even at the very, you know, um, at the very basic level, how do you know that Tylenol is going to bring down the fever? Why it says so on the box? Tylenol, 200 or 500 milligrams, and then what? Fever reducer. It says that <laughs> analgesic, you know, meaning it helps with the pain and fever reducer. So here also the Upanishad on the cover, in fact, the word Upanishad itself means fever reducer. Yeah. Shad means that which it which, which reduces, which uh, not just reduces, better than that, which eliminates. What does it eliminate? Anartha Pratan Visharati. You know? The one that 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 uh, eradicates all kinds of pains. Yeah. So, it it doesn't just make it go away for four hours. You don't have to take uh, every four hours. It it eradicates it completely. It also says on the box, on the cover of the Upanishad, the word Upanishad itself means that which eradicates samsara. Shad means that which eradicates samsara. Upani are prefixes to the word Shad. Upa means samipe. It eradicates samsara for whom? that which is nearest and dearest to you, which is what? Yourself. It eradicates samsara, not for the neighbour, you know, not for the, you know, some other person. It eradicates samsara for you. Me, me means what? Vishchayena, definitely. No, with Tylenol I don't have a problem because it's been around a long time. Hello, Upanishad has been longer time around than Tylenol. <laughs> If you trust Tylenol, you have to trust the Tavukanishad, you have to give it a try. You can't look at the Tylenol and say, I don't know if it's going to help. I am afflicted with a lot of pains and uh, you know, fever. But I'm not going to take it because I I don't think it will help. So the proof is in taking it. In giving it a try. What if I'm allergic? But if I break out in hives? You will not know if you're allergic unless you take it. So, but that's that's scary, yes. It is scary. <laughs> it is less scary than tile alone because, really speaking, the Upanishad has no side effects. You know, uh, in, in uh, when you take these uh, medicines, you know, when you, uh, you, you go and buy these medicines. Or oh, nowadays there are all these TV advertisements. First, there is an uh, advertisement for the medicine. So you, you this uh, such and such will lift the lift this particular uh, you know pain or whatever you are having in the body. And then after the that you know they show one uh, person. Uh, in the beginning they are sitting down like that. They have all kinds of aches and pains. And then they pop these pills which have gone through all these double-blind studies and approved by the FDA, etc. And then after that you see them jogging up the hill. No problem. No rheumatism. Nothing. Everything is fine and then what and then after that the discussion of the side effects is longer than the time that was taken to show the effects of the medicines. Side effects will be nothing not much only thing is one in you know million people had a brain tumor that's all it could be you but maybe it won't be you and then some other people had this problem some other people had that problem there's this long list of side effects and then the disclaimer that this is not the comprehensive view of all side effects. There may be something else that may happen. You may be weird and your body may react in certain ways that have not been documented. But when you look at the, you know, when you open the Upanishad book and try to look at the fine print, no side effects, (laughs) no effects, no defects. Why? Because it is not something that is coming from outside and acting upon you to create some changes. No, it is coming from outside. All right, outside of your scheme of thinking. Correct. But it is not an external object that's going to act upon the eye and, and make something change. So what does it do? it reveals something that is already there. Yeah. So the Upanishad is actually more likened to those things that, you know, that they make you swallow these days. Sometimes, you know, like it has a little light, some kind of a substance that, that lights up the pathway so that the doctor can see what is already there. <laughs> you know, so for, for these uh, scans and all, they, they make you swallow this uh, this 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 uh, this object, something that lights up. Something you know. you have to ask uh, uh, our uh, you know, uh, didolkers. Maybe, maybe they know what what it is called. Some kind of a thing they make you swallow to 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 uh, light up the where you know it has gone. So then they can look. Oh, in the digestive tract now it is here. Now it is there. and They can see what is already there. So the Upanishad is like swallowing an isotope, which lights up what is already there, which for the want of this light of clarity and knowledge, even though it was already there, I could not see it. So what are the side effects of Atma Jnanam? No side effects, no defects. So this is completely safe and it is Phala Bodhakam, it delivers. And it delivers permanently because there's no no going back into samsara once you have come out of it. But why not? Because that is that is how it is. Samsara is a is a ocular defect, it's a attitudinal you know problem. That I look at something and see my vision infested with duality which causes pain is a is, is a ocular problem but with a vision adjustment with an attitudinal adjustment and and which converts my vision of duality into a benign acceptance of all that there is you know that you know that power makes this samsara go away and then once you have seen a certain certain way you cannot look at it some other way like all these optical illusions you just have to see First you, see, you believe in them. Sometimes they are black and white squares and they appear in certain ways and then you see that, oh, I thought it was black but it's actually white and once you look at it up, uh, you know, once the bluff is called, you cannot be part of that illusion again. Same thing with the delusion of samsara. Once the bluff is called, you know, it is not possible. And so what we do now, is in this one month course is that we take the time to to have a vision correction. We take the time to invite the Upanishad. You know, welcome it into our lives. And when we welcome something into our lives, it's like welcoming a guest into the house. We make sure that they are treated nicely and you know if by mistake, you have said something wrong, you apologize, and you make sure that they are okay, and you treat them well, and you know, you just, uh, you know, and once you have asked them to come in, you don't say, oh, I've changed my mind, please go. You don't say that. And so similarly, this, this is the same way of, you know, inviting a revered guest into the home is is, is to be followed with regard to inviting the message of the Upanishad into the heart. That's why it is. So we are going to be spending time on uh, two Upanishads. I'll talk a little bit more about that a little later. So it's to to invite something means I make the space for it. Uh, If I want, I can do this, you know. Oh, but I have so many other things to do and I have a full-time job and I have this and that. That's why the classes are when they are you know. It is taking one hour of your day for the next four weeks or a little more than four weeks, you know, to, to just revel in this glory of the truth of the I that is going to be revealed. So it's just a time... Of vision correction, and we need that because you know it's like a, it's like physiotherapy. You can't just go one day and then expect the problem to be solved and all the bones to be realigned and the dislocated things to go you know pop back in their place. Physical therapy you have to do constantly for a certain period of time. You if, if the physiotherapist says you need you know ten days, ten days it is you need one month of treatment one month it is because there is a certain orientation and the wrong orientation makes the neck go like this and this is how the person holds the neck not because of wrong orientation so part of submitting to to this knowledge is, is not unlike physiotherapy where in addition to all that uh, the ways in which the tissues are manipulated and you know and eased uh, and then finally the bones you know sit, sit down properly uh, they, they they have a chance to align in addition to that there is you know there is a correction of the posture you are you are told how to sit how to stand so that the and how to walk so that these problems don't recur yeah that's that's why that's why we need an immersion and this immersion gives a certain, not only gives the knowledge but also gives the how to keep this knowledge you know and apply to make sure that it vanishes, it's applied in the everyday life so that it vanishes all kinds of orientations, the samsaric orientation. I am worthless, I am no good, nobody loves me, I haven't achieved anything, I am making mistakes all the time, I am an idiot, these kinds of all wrong you know, thoughts, it vanishes and it, you know, that's why one feels wonderful after the class and then after that, some of the orientations creep back in. So this is a, you know, just like when you go to physical therapy, you have to submit to the manipulation. If the physical therapist puts the puts his or her hand on your shoulders and says, relax, you have to relax. You can't go like this and say, Oh, nothing is happening, it won't happen. It's a it's a two-part process. There is the transmission of the knowledge, and there is the receiving. And so if the transmission is faulty, and no matter how receptive the person the knowledge will not come through and then, you know, so therefore it is important to submit oneself to a, you know, flawless transmission. And how can there be a flawless transmission? The flawless transmission, the flawlessness of the transmission is not, you know, centred on the transmitter, i.e. guru, teacher, whatever you want to call it. The flawlessness of the transmission is centred on the parampara on the fact of that teacher being well taught by his teacher, her teacher, his teacher, her teacher going all the way back to Bhagavad. That is how, because you are here and because I am here, we can say that, that that's what makes it a flawless transmission. Because this longing has been addressed from time you know, in memorial from, to use a cliche, from a long long, long long Long, long ago, you know, people have had this problem of self-ignorance and people have been able to eradicate it and then share this knowledge with others. And, you know, and so this is what makes it a flawless transmission. And that flawless transmission is there and and then what? So the receiver has to be tuned up. (laughs) The receiver, in the receivers, tuning to this transmission the clarity is increased. So it's a two-way process. That's why there is, you know, guru and then there is, you know, shishya, there is teacher and students. Even though this this is an artificial distinction. What teacher, what students, I mean, you know, here we we are talking of non-duality and we are talking of, you know, eradicating, so to speak, the duality, you know, through a vision adjustment. But then, We we appear to be re-inscribing the duality by making this knowledge you know, based on a transmission, based on the existence of someone called teacher and and someone called student. Well, you know, let us say that the student-teacher as though divide is the last frontier of duality. It is as though we take all our, all this double vision and just put it at the last frontier of duality in this, we, in, in, you know, we infuse this one relationship, all the duality. And then what? And then it is gone. It is gone in the sense of it is, you know, uh, it, it, when we see the truth of the I as transcending this so-called personality or personage called teacher and the so called personage called student. The age goes, what remains is person. That's all it is. The age is dismissed in the word personage. The age is dismissed because that Atma is ageless and it is Purusha, person. That person is revealed as the one that is existing in the student in the form of I don't know, I don't know. Oh, please teach me, please teach me. Oh, I'm still not learning. And that same person is the truth of the teacher who says, I know, come to me, I'll teach you, don't worry. Uh, I, have, I also felt the same way when I went to my teacher and I'll teach you the same way my teacher taught me, you know. And the one who is saying these two things are completely opposite, but really speaking, they are just little, you know, dents in the in this, you know, in this vast canvas of limitless consciousness. In this awareness, they are just two little, you know, dents. They look different, you know. They look like indentations, but they are really the same thing. You know, you just press and it comes up like that mattress. You know, some uh, some kind of. Uh, what is that called? Memory foam, Yeah, you press it and then you see the handprint, and then slowly it comes and it goes just like that. It's a little dent. That's all it is. And so this is why the the it is called a live transmission because it's very easy to Google the book the, the book called Maitri Upanishad, and, and and you will get various versions, so many versions. And then at the end of this, you will have an aversion to the to the operation itself. Oh my God! So many versions, which is uh, you know, uh, which is uh, this, which is that. You don't know. And so, therefore, what? So therefore, uh, uh, you know, it is not something to be meant to be read. It is something that is meant to be, you know, uh, you know, allowed to listen. Why? Because when you read, you bring in the baggage of the own infrastructure which says I am not enough, I am an idiot and then the, 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 the person who considers himself or herself as an idiot confronts the book which says Tattva masi, you are the glory of, you know, you are that which is Tat, which, which is Brahman, which is the cause of the universe. You just flip the page, what's next? I'm not interested in that because one is unable to take that. Then if the eyes are are defective, if the eyes are connected to the mind because the mind is giving wrong information, then how come the ears are exempt? How come shravanam, listening works whereas reading doesn't? (laughs) Because in the reading, you know, there is the, the, the sense of I that is present is both the receiver and the the, the agent. Both karta and bhokta are present. But when we talk of shravanam, listening, that, that, that sense of agency is not, uh, you know, is not it is there, but it's not as present. And it can be trained to be suspended. That agent in the form of the questioning, querying, arguing mind uh, which is backed by the Ahantara can be made to listen, can be made to, you know, can be, it can be disarmed. But with the eyes, because we are all visual people, this is Mulapramana, because in the sense of all the five, uh, we, what we call Mulapramanas, Mula the five, uh, you know, primary ways of knowing, the eyes have a special place. Yeah, because we are heavily dependent upon the eyes. And so therefore we, we trick this, you know, mind and we trick the ahankara into making it into a listener, a, a, a receiver. And so this is what the whole thing is. We are, we are able to listen and we are able to enjoy the listening because we are craving to hear that. We're wanting to hear that. With reading what happens, the agency kicks in because I am the reader and I am going to edit and uh, you know punctuate and cross out, strike through the lines that I don't like. And here also I may cross through the lines that I don't like to listen to. Yes, that is possible. But it doesn't happen because you know because the, the nature of the transmission is such that it ends uh, you know invites and uh, you know makes the listener enjoy what they are listening to and in between just dole out the you know dole out the information that basically negates all these wrong thoughts and wrong modes of being you know just like the, the mother you know, making the child eat something by distracting it. Look there, look here, look at the birdie, look at the kitty, and then you know, one one thing goes, another you know bite goes, and pretty much the whole you know the child is 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 full full of itself, full of you know. So similarly, here the person is full of themselves in, in the nicest way possible. You know, very very uh, wonderful and. Uh, and so this 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 is why the listening is encouraged because there are fewer distractions when you are listening as opposed to when you are reading because the agent kicks in you can put the book down you can throw it away you can, uh, you, can uh, you know tear it up and use it as fuel but with listening it's, it's less likely to do that yes you can get up and walk away yes you can you know uh, shut down the computer but because the Upanishad is compelling, one is, you know, one is kind of transfixed to listen, especially if one has some jihna or the desire to learn. So this is an immersion into two Upanishads. One is a kind of a lesser known Upanishad called Maitri and I'll talk about that later. I'll talk about both of them, you know, little later. The other one is a sentence from the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad about this very listening we will be we will be uh, you know listening to that and then uh, that will help with this with this life pursuit it will help with the clarity and which will of course have you know a uh, an immediate effect on one's life on one's way of you know being in the world. So this is you know, this is the whole idea and for this reason we are going to look at the upanishads and uh, tomorrow i'll give a it's uh, it i'll give an introduction to the Maitri upanishad itself and uh, if you haven't downloaded you can download uh, Maitri Three upanishad lesson 1 dot pdf from the uh, you know middle chat middle pod in between the attendee list and the chat pod on your computer on the left hand side in the middle, uh, you know, little pod, it says what current class text. And you scroll through and find the file that is called My Three Upanishad lesson one. And you please download that. And uh, you know, you can do it right now because we'll just be looking at uh, uh, this briefly uh, because I just want to make a beginning today. And then we will, uh, you know, continue with an introduction to the Maitri Upanishad and then go on with this, uh, the the lesson, you know. And uh, so we can chart this together. Um, It is, uh, you know, it's called prapāthaka, it's not divided into chapters, it is divided into, prapāthaka means lessons, that which teaches. So it's seen as a lesson. And so the first lesson here, we'll just chant and leave it at that today. Om Brahma Yanyova Esha Yath Poorvesha Chayanam Kasmad Yajamana Chitva Etan Agneen Atmanam Abhidyayet Sapurnah Adva, Avicala, Sampadyate, Yanya, Kahasaha, Avidye, Ayam, Yaha Prana, Tasya, Ubakyanam. So, this is a very important uh, mantra. It's an opening mantra, and it's a, um, you know, it's a segue. To what we have been talking about, the segue in terms of the pursuit from what? From the uh, from of object to the pursuit of the subject. And more we shall see uh, when tomorrow we shall see more of that. Okay? <speaking in foreign language> Om Shanti 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 Harihi Om Shri Gurudhyo Namaha Harihi Om